Today, I have my first guest to bring items for show and tell. I'm so excited. I've got composer Nathan Barr here today on On The Fly Filmmaking. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. Welcome everyone to On The Fly Filmmaking. My name is Mary Lou Mandel, and I am your host today talking to Nathan Barr. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here and you brought toys. I did. I brought toys. I brought two very unusual musical instruments to share with you. so exciting because I'm always asking people, I was like, do you have something for show and tell? And, I, you know. I feel like the guy who like used to go on like Letterman and bring the pets. You know, yeah, and, like, you're that guy? Out. I'm that guy. Do you bring them for, to other interviews? I haven't. This is the first time. <gasps> okay, good. Yeah. I feel, I feel yeah. special because if you brought them you to should. every interview, I was no. going to be like, no, leave them. Should. I don't want to talk about special. them. Cool. What are the two instruments that we're going to talk about today? And then we'll bring them up later. Yeah, one of them is called an array nail organ. Okay. It's a really unusual instrument. I think there's only two in existence currently, uh, and then uh, something called a nickel harpa, which is a Swedish fiddle, which is also pretty unusual. Yeah, the one with the, the nails in it definitely looks like something that you would use to make music for horror movies, which yeah. is something that you do. Yeah, and someone said they compared it to Wes Craven's typewriter, yeah. which I thought was very funny, because when you guys see it later, it looks like that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It definitely yeah. A, a creepy looking instrument there so we'll definitely uh talk about those later which i'm excited about but let everyone know where they can find you on the internet if there's like social media that you like to use yeah sure so uh facebook uh composer bar uh and then uh nathanbar.com my website right on. Uh, and i'm on uh, uh twitter as well and uh, instagram mm-hmm. both as composer bar composer bar is that yes. right that's right yeah yeah okay that's cool. where i found there you, you. Go. all right good, good. <laughs> i stalked you i always i like cyber stalk everyone before we we do this good. so you've got a lot of fun projects that are coming up like Right now, your music is out in theaters and Flatliners. Yes. Which is what we had in the opening right there. So you can hear a little bit of that out on the internet or go watch Flatliners in theaters now. Or buy the soundtrack. Yeah, go buy the iTunes. soundtrack. Definitely buy the soundtrack. And you also have an album. Is that something that's that you can the album. buy now? Yeah, that's the one. Yep. Oh, so okay. Flatliners, that came out a couple of weeks ago with the film, and you can get that on iTunes uh, right now. Yeah, buy it right now. And you can like jam to it. <laughs> you can jam to it, definitely. And then you've got season six of The Americans that is yes. coming out soon. Yes, that'll be. We, I start that up in January, and that'll be out. Uh, I'm not sure when it uh, first starts up in the new year, but that'll be the final season of The Americans. How long have you been doing The Americans? For, so this is the sixth year, final year. So you've been, done all of that. I've done all from of them, the yeah. beginning. From the beginning, from right. the pilot, and it's nice. been such an amazing experience. It's such a um, beloved show by a lot of people, myself included. So, yeah, yeah. That, there's something that's interesting because a, a few of the other composers that we've talked to have not done a show for the entire series. Oh, right, they right. like kind of hop in in the middle, right. or they've done just a character arc or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you've also done uh, True Blood and Hemlock Grove, which yes. if you guys are After Buzz fans, Marissa, who's producing in the back. And then I also did a panel for Hemlock Grove, and now you're here. Yeah, we like so listen cool. to your music every week. <laughs> nice. No, I, yeah, that was fun. Hemlock Grove was a fun one. It was, yeah, it was so uh, such an unusual story. Premise. It was a weird yeah. show. It was a weird. It show. was a weird show. And like yeah. you did True Blood, yeah. and that's a weird show. But Hemlock <laughs> Grove, like, yeah. went there. Yeah, it did. It definitely. Yeah, it did. And then so now True Blood, you did that. You did all of the original music in True Blood. Yes. Which now is going on Broadway. Yes. Which is yeah. so exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, that started, that was a journey that started probably about um, in 2000, actually in 2008 was when I first thought about, oh, I wonder if this could be a musical. Mm-hmm. My writing partner for songs, uh, Elizabeth Scott and I wrote a song called Take Me Home in season one where Sookie's eating pie, her mm-hmm. grand's pie after the funeral. Mm-hmm. And um, I just had this like moment flash where I was like, oh my God, this would be really interesting in a musical. And so... We've spent the last four years um, um, uh, preparing um, a presentation for HBO and Alan Ball, which we gave last June, a year ago, 
year and a half ago, and they uh, they really love the direction, and so we're we were sort of given the green light to move forward with that. And so it's it's as anyone who knows musical theater, it's a long process. Yes. So we're. We're, we're well along the way, but we have a ways to go. So. Are you working on story as well as music? Yeah, so basically the way it works, you've got your, your sort of three people who are the key, crucial. You've got your, your writer, your, your book writer, mm -hmm. uh, your lyricist, and your composer. And mm -hmm. So we're, we sort of all work together on the story. Okay, and yeah. is it continuing on with the True Blood story? Is it like going original, Sookie Sackhouse? I don't want to... I don't want to say just yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. But, like, fans who know True Blood and don't know True Blood, I'm sure, can enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah, because, like, 100%. I love the book. I love the show. Yes. I lo like, yeah, so I'm absolutely. sure I'm going to love the musical. And the books are great, and I think our goal is just as the books stood on their own mm -hmm. and it, it got a great fan base, the TV show was kind of reinvented by Alan Ball, and so I think we're trying to reinvent it again for the stage. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, so good. Sookie no. Stackhouse. Yeah, she's, she's, she's what still an amazing kicking. character. Such yeah. a good character. Yeah, Compton. I love her. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Okay. And you've got more fun stuff coming up on Eli Roth Project, The mm -hmm. House with a Clock in Its Walls. Yes, is that based on a book? That is based on a book yeah. from 1973. It was a series of books that were, um, I guess, very popular at mm -hmm. the time. And I think there's still a lot of fans for them. And, uh, yes, yeah, so we like directing that. It stars Jack Black and Kate Blanchett and Kyle MacLachlan. And um, it's... Uh, a PG horror movie, which should be very interesting for Eli, can he do Eli that? and me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's going to be really fun and unique. Um, and we're going to be recording that here uh, in uh, probably in May. Oh. And that comes out in September of 2018. Okay. So then, then that's a, an interesting spot for us to talk about something that's about to go into production. Where do you fall in in production for mm -hmm. a movie? I mean, it depends. Um the earliest a composer might be brought on is if they have a relationship with the director or the director wants something to work with during shooting, which mm -hmm. goes back to like Ennio Morricone and Sergio Leone days. He would actually write a bunch of music before they even started shooting. Okay. Uh, but more typically these days, a composer comes on board, um, sort of, uh, officially they come on board with the actual work once you've, you're starting to cut the film. Right. And um, we've heard from yeah. different composers that it, it can work in different ways. Like, so mm -hmm. if you, you have like a little bit of a scene, you kind of cut to like, oh, I, this is what I think would be happening here. Mm -hmm. But that was when they were maybe pitching to get the job. Right. Right. Like, so this is what you're shooting. This is kind of a scene. This is how I would play it. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. Then, and then other folks, we, we hear that they, they get the scene, then they do it afterwards. And then we also hear about character suites. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, and that's yeah. something that you do a lot. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Um, these days, like I'd say 50% of the time you're asked to actually write a demo for mm -hmm. something. And, and then the rest of the time they just want you to come on board and they know absolutely that you're supposed to be doing it. Um, so, yeah, it really depends. But I think um, every composer has a different approach. It's really important to be able to talk about your approach during the interview process mm -hmm. and do so in a way that is um, really evocative for the filmmakers without um, them actually hearing something because nothing's been written yet. Right. So, yeah. And then that's a partnership. Like, you are partnering up based on work styles more than anything now. Mm -hmm. Like, you might have heard their other work. Mm -hmm. But somebody's work can be amazing. But if you don't work well together, if you don't have complementary styles, like... Absolutely. It's going to be a struggle. It is. It is. And it, it often sometimes is a struggle anyway because one of the hardest things for people to do is talk about music mm -hmm. um, is, if they're not musicians. And right. so I find that the best collaborations for composers um, are uh, with, with filmmakers who um, talk about emotional uh, emotional beats and, and speak about it from that place rather than very specific musical notes. Right. Oh, that's, a, that's really yeah. good advice because I'm not a, a music person, but mm -hmm. I am an emotional person. And I could definitely, as a as a filmmaker, where I'm like, if I'm going to work with a composer, I'm not sure how to communicate what I need. Right. But 
using emotion, I think, is a really good tip where you'd be like, I want this to be inspirational or I want it's Absolutely. sad. She's depressed. Yeah. Or she's very, very happy. You know, like. Yeah, no, it's those true. Kind of things. It's a great way to do it. And like Alan Ball is a perfect example of someone who um, he's he's musical, but he knows where he's comfortable speaking about music and when he's not. And because he speaks about it strictly from a character emotion place, it it it. Bring, gives a lot of freedom to the composer, and it also allows us to use our imagination. So when he says I need it to be more sad, we can we can decide if it's a cello as opposed to someone who says I want a flute here. Right. And sometimes they don't necessarily know that that's really what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be more complicated. The communication style is so important. Right. Because they might have heard a flute in a sad song. Right. But that might not be what you need for this thing. Right. Like there's probably something better. Right. Yeah. Totally. Like some people said, like piano, let's save from piano because it's sad. Well, I mean, they're yeah. <laughs> that's. One one way you can play a piano, mm-hmm. but so 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 I think it's just more like we don't want something sad in this moment. What then, a great yeah. tip! Communicate with emotions with there your you your composers. That's you great. Go. And then even if you're on the music side, ask your filmmakers to communicate with the with emotion. And yep. that's something that I think in the filmmaking process, probably everyone along the line can understand that because that's a human thing. Like music is a musician thing, and like photos and mm-hmm. video are like these people but emotions are human emotions totally are and i think it's the same probably with cinematographers mm-hmm. like a director may not know a lot about lenses or cameras yeah. and, and you just tell them sort of what vibe you want mm-hmm. something or what look look it needs to have so yeah. yeah it just seems to be a really great way to start the conversation yeah i yeah. think that's wonderful yeah. advice so mm-hmm. you worked with alan ball you've worked with eli roth i want to go back to the beginning mm-hmm. and talk about how you got started on your path of music mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry. Yeah, so I came out here in 96, uh, and I was r- just sort of running packages around town at a production company, and someone showed me a job advert that said, prominent Hollywood film composer seeking driver slash assistant. And they got like a thousand driving resumes, and then they got a couple of uh, composing resumes, and I was one of the resumes. And I went in not knowing who it was, had the interview not knowing who it was, and I heard like this voice bellow upstairs, and it was uh, Hans Zimmer. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I, um, he narrowed it down to three people, and, and we each went in and met with him, and uh, I, I guess he and I hit it off um, for best. And, and again, when, you, when you're looking for an assistant, I think you want to find someone who's you're comfortable with spending mm-hmm. a lot of time with. It's kind of the most important thing in a way. Yeah. Everything else could be learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I, I worked for him for eight months, um, and it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. It was uh, like being thrown in the deep end of the pool. I didn't yeah. even know what, what I was looking at when I walked into a studio. I had so much gear everywhere. Right. Um, so and if yeah, you guys don't know <clears> yet, <throat> you should look up Hans Zimmer. If there's any movie music you've ever heard, it's probably him. <laughs> exactly. It's probably yeah, him. So what was yeah. he working on at that time when you were working with him? He was, we jumped right into As Good As It Gets. Okay. Uh, and then uh, he was finishing up Prince of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was about to go on to Thin Red Line. Right on. And he was kind of uh, helping out on, uh, on uh, Armageddon. Yeah, so all the movies. Busy, busy guy. All yeah. the movies. Yeah, very busy. Cool. So then how did you transition out of being that assistant into your next gig? Yeah, so I when I was there... Um, one of his other assistants, uh, she had a boyfriend at the time who was working for one of the top agents for film composers, and she slipped him, unbeknownst to me, some music I'd written in Hans's studio, which he would generously let me do, and then uh, he started to represent me. We got a film right away, and uh, so I, yeah, I left, and then over the next uh, couple of years, I started to do more and more films, and and uh, and then went on from there. And I think any composer can attest to, like, we all, like, need to get anointed by someone who's, like... Um, uh, has a really good career going, and so for me, that was really Alan Ball. That was sort of Eli and Alan were sort of the ones who 
um, once I started working with them, uh, that was sort of a jump start on on the career. Yeah, and were you aiming to get into this horror type genre? I love horror. Yeah, you know. So yeah. Great. So I mean, I was aiming to just do anything with with visual media and mm-hmm. and and, uh, and uh, music, and and so it ended up being uh, a horror, which is uh, I love horror. So yeah, yeah, I see kind of every horror movie that comes out. So. Or most of them. Yeah. And there's some really, really good ones out there. <clears throat> yeah, there you are. recently saw It. Yeah, I saw It. Yeah. And it, yeah, and I think some of the best ones over the past couple of years are like It Follows mm-hmm. and The Conjuring was really good. Yeah. The new Annabelle creation I thought was really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a cool time. There's some really interesting horror films being made. Yeah, and then horror films, I think, really... The music plays a lot into the storytelling, Absolutely. where like all yeah. films do, but horror specifically because like it can be a long silent scene, mm-hmm. but the music will create the tension mm-hmm. because what makes things scary is the tension. What's mm-hmm. going to happen? And like musical cues and things like that. So I don't know, music for horror movies. Absolutely, I think yeah, it's super amazing. important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it also like allows. I think that genre allows for like an incredible amount of experimentation, um, which you can't necessarily do, say, in a romantic comedy or something. Yeah, it's, it's you can sort of sky's the limit with a horror mm-hmm. film as long as it's scary. Have you used any? weird kind of instruments for horror oh, yeah, movie tons stuff. Tons and tons and tons. That so that instrument I'll bring up later yeah. is one of them. So I use that in Flatliners first. Okay. Um but I've used all sorts of weird yeah things. And yeah. What's the weirdest? <clears throat> um my shower, uh the I have the glass shower. Okay. And and uh uh I I sampled myself running my fingers down the glass when it was wet and it <laughs> came up with this really weird screechy sound. That's and, neat. and that was so that that's probably the weirdest thing. Mm-hmm. Um but I have a human bone trumpet too. Right on. And so I've used that. That was from Tibet, or, and uh, that has it doesn't produce like a pitch per se, but mm-hmm. it does produce some really weird sounds. Yeah. So we had uh, one other composer come on here and said he used dildos. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So okay. like I'm always like, what what weird things did you use? The bone was probably going to win, but that's like specifically made to be an instrument. That wasn't a yeah exactly discovery. yeah. So like fingers on the glass right that's, yeah, that's a discovery probably, i guess so yeah, yeah exactly and then i think just finding like instruments that are really fringe instruments that not many people know about mm-hmm. us that's i get really excited about that yeah and when i could bring that excitement into the composing process that's when it gets uh interesting yeah great well then let's talk about these instruments that yeah. you brought here so yeah. we'll, we'll start with this one yeah. first so this is uh again i'm beating my pet out of my cage here <laughs> like the this is a, a um, nickel harpa. Nickel harpa. Yeah, and it's a really, it's kind of like if a violin and a hurdy-gurdy had children, this is the instrument All that right. they would produce. Okay, so I know what a violin is. I don't know what a hurdy-gurdy is. So a hurdy-gurdy is, is an instrument. Um, I, I started using one about 20 years ago uh, when, yeah, because it, it's basically an instrument with a, a wooden wheel that gets rosined, okay. and it, and it uh, plays some drone strings. Mm-hmm. And then on a hurdy-gurdy, you've got the similar keys. So these keys... Um, basically press the strings. Oh, neat. So, so yeah. Uh, and so basically, but with this one, you bow it uh, with your hand. And it was an easy instrument to pick up because I just, it, I play cello. Okay. And I play hurdy-gurdy. So hurdy-gurdy, you're kind of playing it like this. Mm-hmm. So if you just go 180, you can play. Okay. And cello, I just took, this is the bowing position for a cello, and I took it just move it up like 90 degrees, and I can play it. It's got yeah. a really beautiful... Awesome. Yeah, it's got a really cool sound. And yeah. It's, it's got a very open sound because it has all of these 
um, uh, um, sympathetic strings. Okay. So, so you don't actually play these 12 strings, but when you get to a certain note, uh -huh. Some of these strings will actually vibrate. So gotcha. it gives it a very open, sort of sonorous sound. Yeah, where does this uh, instrument originate, do you know? Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, Sweden. And this is by a guy named Esbjorn Hogmark, and he's one of the great living makers left. It's like a four-year right. four waiting list to get, get it. And it's all handmade, and yeah, it's just a really beautiful Yeah, piece. it's a really beautiful piece. Yeah. And that's what I really appreciate about a lot of musical instruments, is that like they are beautiful art pieces in their own. Not only do they make music but visually they're great to look at absolutely Where like camera gear is like looks like camera gear. Like <laughs> yeah, sometimes exactly. I, I like how they look but it's not the same as this like beautiful handcrafted wooded like things mm -hmm. are etched on it mm -hmm. like you know somebody had to learn for a hundred years how to make this right right sure yeah this sure. Is, it's a different game yeah it is it's definitely it a is. different game it is no absolutely yeah there's uh yeah so how did this instrument find you uh i um was looking on a friend's page and saw this really weird instrument, uh, and I didn't know what it was, and it mm -hmm. was a nickel harpa. And so I, I called my friend and I said, "What is that?" She told me, and then I um, poked around in forums and found one. Uh, someone told me that that if you want one, this is the guy to get it from. And yeah. I called him, and he's like, "Well, it's going to be four years." Right on. And uh, I've learned with collecting musical instruments, never be daunted by the wait time because four years will happen, and, and you, then, you've got it. Then you have it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, it's like I have a Kickstarter that I, I bought into for a, a blanket. It was a weighted blanket. I've, like, forgotten because I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. now. But, like, one day it's just going to show up and be like, oh, yeah, this is go. great. Yeah. I'm glad this company exists and it just steal my money. Right. But, yeah, like, the, the instruments, like, sometimes the weight is worth it yeah. for something Absolutely. really good. So Absolutely. let's talk about your other instrument. Yeah. I should say that I waited seven years for another instrument for a guitar, so. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Nice. Um, is that the longest you've waited? For, waited? Yes, it is. Yep. Awesome. So this Great. one so, is like a nail typewriter. Yes, this is called a array nail organ. Awesome. And um, it's, I think it's their only, this might be the second one that exists. It's uh, built by two gentlemen, Bill Wesley and Patrick Hadley. And uh, it's just a really out there cool idea to yeah. make sounds. And so so one of two. I think so, yeah. Wow. They're, they're, they're definitely looking to sell more. So um, if you go online, you can look them up. They so is make, this fairly new then? Yeah, so this was just made for, for me for Flatliners. It actually okay. arrived just in the middle of Flatliners, so I got to use it in that. And uh, they also make an instrument called an Array uh, Embira, which is like a, a kalimba, which is an African thumb piano. Okay. Um, but this is their other one. And so, yeah, basically it's just a series of nails. The length determines the pitch. So the tiny ones are, are higher pitch, and the lower ones are uh, lower pitch. Or the longer ones are lower pitch. And then you put rosin on your fingers. This is just, and what is that? This is just crushed up rosin, tree rosin. Okay. And, you, you know, you put rosin on a bow when you're playing violoncello, viola. Mm -hmm. Is it and kind of like a lubricant? No, it's exactly the opposite. It's a powder. Okay. It's exactly, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, um, makes it very um, sticky. Okay. This is what you need. And so this is, usually you plug this in. But let's see if we can get a sound out of it. trippy. <laughs> yeah. That is so much fun. Yeah, it's really cool. And I used it like in uh, Flatliners quite a bit um, as sort of like a ostinato thing in the background. And it has just a really cool sound that you can't quite identify, which I like. Yeah. May I try? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So here, just put, um, just stick your finger like in there so that you do it. Yep. There you go. Okay. Good. And now just take, I, these are probably the easiest. Oh, you have yeah. to like really get in there. 
Don't cut yourself, because my friend cut himself on it, actually. Oh. <laughs> it's a dangerous. Yeah, That's yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. So then how is it different here to here? It's so, so some of the pitches inside? are the same. So they're laid out F sharp, C sharp, G sharp, D sharp, A sharp. So they're, they're just laid out um, in fifths. So it's like a, kind of like laid out like a steel drum a little bit. That's neat. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's kind of unusual and... And so this, because you had not played it before, because there's only one other that exists, yeah. you have to learn on the fly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's I, I uh, there, I'm sure if someone devoted the time to it, you could become very virtuosic with it. Yeah. I sort of approached it in in a way that I was able to actually play at the time because I've never played it before. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I I found the best way to to use it. And then how did this one come to you? This one came to me. Um, I do a lot of like just poking around and looking for weird instruments and. Uh, I don't even remember. I just saw this on YouTube somewhere. Yeah. And I thought, what is that? I just saw it. And then I went online, I looked, and I called the guy, and I said, I really want that. And he said, all right, we'll build one. That's so neat. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And it's called, I don't, I actually should ask him, I don't know what it's called, an organ. I mean, it looks like organ pipes, you know. But I did have a friend come in and, and really cut himself really bad. Yeah, like, <laughs> so it was like, like, there was like blood on here. <laughs> yeah, like, there well, was. <laughs> now it's a, horror, it's a horror movie instrument yeah. for sure. And now you can see why it looks like Wes Craven's typewriter. Yeah. I just think that's so funny. That's so yeah. neat. Yeah. Awesome. So, so cool. I'm sure you'll find more and more fun uh, instruments. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for bringing that because yeah, sure. I love I love show and tell. Good. And that is, it is a very weird sound. And I, I do like exactly yeah. what you said, where it's something kind of, you'll hear it and it's not identifiable. Right, yeah, like, exactly. What is that sound? What is that? Yeah, that's what I get really excited about music when I hear stuff that I just have no idea what it is. Yeah, which is a, how I felt yeah. a long time about a theremin. Yep, Somebody absolutely. had taught me what that was, because I was like, what is this yep. like weird like old horror movie thing? Yeah. And then I saw somebody playing it live, and I was like, what yeah. is this sci-fi it's out there. weird instrument yep and but, it was you said sci-fi and it was yeah. used in a lot of sci-fi back in the 50s yeah. and yeah so, yeah yeah, it so 40s, neat. yeah yeah it is it's so cool. neat yeah awesome cool so for uh <laughs> creatives that are out there what kind of things do you suggest like you obviously are going out and like finding new instruments mm -hmm. and like breaking the mold as to what is you know, expected of mm -hmm. a musician. Mm -hmm. So, what what kind of advice do you have for creatives that are in interested in this getting into it, yeah. like starting in it? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think the the path that I see often is quickest to some sort of career is through assisting a composer. Okay, that's what I did. I have a lot of friends who did the same thing, mm -hmm. and I think um, having the opportunity to work for them just to see what it's all about, and then um, hopefully they start to ask you to write a little bit or do some percussion or whatever it is, and then that can turn into more and and that's what happened with my previous assistant, um, and he's now co-scoring Sneaky Pete with me for Amazon. Right on. That was sort of my way to pay it back to him, all the work he put in for almost five years with me. And um, it's been uh, really great to see him really take to it and, mm -hmm. and, and be amazing. That's great. So then on that specifically, if somebody doesn't yet have a composer resume and they want to assist a composer... Mm -hmm. Uh, what what do you suggest for them to do to kind of just build up their skills while they're searching for this job? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, these days, as in all areas of filmmaking, like technology, like mm -hmm. some facility with technology is really important. I think uh, 
uh, walking into a room with a composer in a studio and not knowing how to use Logic or Pro Tools or mm-hmm. uh, Digital Performer, some of these programs is, is a real hindrance to moving forward. Right, so, which those are all programs that are accessible to everybody. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah they, they are. And so I, w- I would say familiarizing yourself with the technical aspects of it so that they mm-hmm. don't get in the way of the creative process. Right. Because I think all of us, we, we spend so much time doing it. The goal is that the technology facilitates the process and doesn't like get right. in the way of it. Right. So, what are those three programs again? Um, Logic, Pro Tools, um, Digital Performer, and Cubase is the other one that okay. a lot of people use. So, Great. those four. Um, I mean, Pro Tools is a good one, just general all around to know. Mm-hmm. And then if you know one of the one or two of those other three, then that's great. Right. Yeah. Because I, I bet it's a lot like once you kind of learn the basic wheels. Uh, that's how it is with the editing programs that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. That once you learn the basics, you can kind of go across all of them. Absolutely. You just figure out what is the thing that does that same thing. Exactly. Over here. That's it. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. And yep. then you learn how to navigate it. And once you can do that, then your creativity can really flow. But having that really gives you an edge. Yep. No question. No question. And then some people go the school route, and they'll do like a film scoring workshop or program Mm -hmm. or something, and that can be another way to go. Yeah. Um, But I think ultimately, unless you get very lucky, um, it's you'll probably end up starting with some sort of composer Mm -hmm. because we have to support ourselves, and in the process, want to be learning about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, how important is learning a lot of instruments? I mean, that's the way I work, and Mm -hmm. that's the way I I stay interested in mm-hmm. it and get inspired about it. Um, yeah. But I think... Because uh, you perform a lot of the pieces. I do, yeah, it. yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And um, so I think uh, it's it's important to have a working knowledge of a couple instruments if yeah. you can, but I don't. you don't have to these days because computers are so advanced now mm-hmm. and sample libraries are so advanced. Yeah, they're not going to play this weird nail instrument, <clears throat> no. this nail organ. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I think... Uh, I think uh, but I do think it's good to... Uh, not all composers play an instrument, but I, I think it's good to have some facility on something. Right. Yeah. yeah. And is there is there one like if you were like just learn this instrument first? I mean, piano is yeah. such a it's it's sort of the tried and true old mm-hmm. way to really. Um, it's so great because of the way it's laid out. You can see everything and you can arrange and you can, um, um, it's just a really uh, intuitive way to, to work. Um, yeah. I get, I'm not a great pianist, so I get locked into uh, my motor memory. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's hard for me to break out of that pattern. And so the way I do that is just by getting other instruments in the studio that I'm not familiar yeah, with. Yeah, which is good. Where I have no motor memory. And then I can like mess yes. something up and make a mistake. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I should yeah. remember that. Yeah. I've been told many times that I should, like, throughout my life, they're like, you need to learn how to play piano just because I have these, like, weird long fingers. Right. But I think that's why I'm so good at, like, doing things on the computer. Like, mm-hmm. I'm very fast typing and editing and, like, mm-hmm. all my shortcuts on the computer. And I think it probably would translate. Yeah, uh, it absolutely Once I figured could. out what did what. Yeah. I just look at it like, as another keyboard. It's another, it's another video game. Absolutely. No, yeah. totally. And I think it's funny, though, because, like, some people, like, if you look at Andre Segovia, who was the great classical guitarist, mm-hmm. you, his fingers were huge mm-hmm. and um, very fat, thick fingers. And you watch him play, and you're like, how can he even, like, get his fingers to the strings? Like, it's just... So he's he had that as a handicap, and he really figured out how to make yeah. it work. How to make I, it yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah, I love seeing... Uh, really good like guitarists and then just like go really fast and uh-huh. it's amazing mm-hmm. the things that you can make the human body learn oh, yeah it is incredible which then becomes to you as a composer you have to like know what's possible mm-hmm. on all of these things and then create absolutely them. yeah i mean the last thing you want to be doing is writing I mean, and and yeah i mean the last thing you want to be is, is turning in stuff to uh, a copyist or an orchestrator and you've been writing out of the range of the instrument right yeah so you want yeah you want to Sort of know what an instrument orchestra does, what the range is, what the possibilities are. Are there any instruments that kind of intimidate you that you don't get into? 
I mean, uh, a harp is a little bit mind-bending. Mm -hmm. Pedal steel is a little bit mind-bending because you've got levers and pedals mm -hmm. that actually change the layout of the instrument. So that, that is a bit um, uh, intimidating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it would be basically be like, I mean, with a pedal steel especially, like you have your guitar, you've got 10 strings, and then you've got a lever on either side of your leg and a couple pedals, and depending on which one you press or move, you're actually raising or lowering the pitch of a various string. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's like a chessboard where your your pieces are constantly moving around without you. you yeah, know? yeah, it's it's um it's intimidating. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it it sounds like it's intimidating. Yeah. Of the the projects that you've composed for, were there any that were the project was challenging? I, all of them are challenging yeah. in their own way. I mean, um, I mean, just to speak recently, Flatliners was challenging because we had so little time. Mm -hmm. uh, How was the turnaround for that? It was like three and a half weeks to write most of the score. Mm -hmm. so Did you have the whole movie at that point? I had, I had the first four reels, kind of locked, and mm -hmm. the fifth and sixth reels were very much in flux. Mm -hmm. So, um, I had to write about 45, 46 minutes in three and a half weeks, and yeah. it was orchestral music, some of it, and so that was. That was challenging, yeah. but I just kind of, you know, um, went for it and, right. and did it and it worked out well. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, those kinds of like, I think, uh, Leonard Bernstein said, uh, what you need is a plan and not quite enough time. Yes. And I really love that because I think it's true. Mm -hmm. So I went into this with not enough time. I would have loved a lot more time to write that music mm -hmm. and, uh, I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but yeah, and it worked out. Yeah. But time constraints end up putting you in the situation where, you know, like we say all the time on the show that like. At all levels, people are working on the fly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you plan as much as you can, mm -hmm. but then your time constraints come in and you just got to go. That's filmmaking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You just have sure. to make it happen because, of course, you could no work question. on something. You could take forever to, like, work on something, but it might actually hurt the project. I think, it, yeah. And I, I had a film that I worked on over a year, and mm -hmm. I, I can't say it's my best work. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think the filmmakers would say it was their best work either. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's too much time. Is there something that you feel is, like, your best or one of your bests? Like, which you're, like, super proud of? Uh, I mean, I'm proud of a lot of it. I think, um, I mean, there are quite a few pieces in True Blood and quite a few pieces in The Americans that are um, I'm proud of because mm -hmm. they have a unique sound and they yeah. brought something unique to a show that was already really strong, mm -hmm. and that's when you have a marriage of great things happening. Yeah, and what was know? it that made those pieces unique? Uh, I mean, I think part of it was just that, uh, for example, with True Blood, Alan Ball is a really inspiring person to work with, and so uh, he gives you a tremendous amount of freedom within the constraints of what the show needs to be. Yeah. And, and that, uh, and, and he puts his trust in you. And so having that trust is really um, liberating and, and inspiring. Yeah. And he's very creative too. So like he Absolutely. understands the process. How was, how was his process and where did you work in with him? Mm -hmm. So he, uh, he came up for the first season. He drove out to my studio in Topanga every week for the first, I guess, 12 episodes. And he would, I'd prepare a bunch of music and record it, and then he'd come up and take a listen, and we'd have uh, notes about it and go back and forth. And um, I remember the first time I was going to play Bill and Sookie's, um theme. It was the very first thing I wrote for the show, and I was just absolutely terrified. Like, here's Alan Ball sitting in my studio. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, he listened to it, and he's like, oh, he's like, I... I feel something for them beyond anything I thought was possible. So that's really exciting. So oh, that's, that's like kind of a, that's a very exciting moment. And so once he um, paid me that compliment and, and meant it, that made me uh, feel confident enough to keep going. Yes. So, yeah, and, and really experiment. Yeah. And, and sometimes ha working with somebody who just gives you that like, oh, yeah, you got it. Mm -hmm. This can 
just drive yeah. you. You can yeah. like ride that compliment for so long. Yeah, and I think some people like I know there are some big filmmakers out there who believe that you're supposed to thrash your talent and beat them down no. and and it's it's i mean i guess for some people that works but i i don't think it's like a I bad like experience absolutely you know? yeah for sure right because sure. like with these creative things like you can go and be the jerk and maybe you'll have like a very good product in the end but everybody will be broken from it right so what well, fun is that right like absolutely you know like you yeah. want to do the best you can but you're good to people, then you can work with them more often. No question. And you have like then you have the opportunity of getting something better. <clears throat> and yet there are some big filmmakers out there who are just the opposite all yeah, the time. All the time. And somehow, I mean, they their their movies make money, and so yeah, yeah they well, keep then, they keep going. Yeah, because money money right. drives the machine. <laughs> right, right. Unfortunately, yeah. but you know, like yeah. so it is. Yeah. So it is. So you were talking about Alan Ball coming to your studio, and now yeah. you're building. Another studio? I am. I'm building, like, my dream studio. It's yeah. something I started picturing, like, 20 years ago. It's 7,000 square feet. It's going to be in uh, in the in Tarzana area, and it uh, includes a very beautiful, amazing piece of film music history, which is the Fox Wurlitzer organ. So it was actually an organ built for Fox in 1928 for their scoring stage, so it was used in, like, The Sound of Music and um, The Day the Earth Stood Still and Journey to the Center of the Earth and... So all these great composers from Jerry Goldsmith to Bernard Herrmann used it over the years, and um, it's been an obsession of mine over the past five years. So the studio is literally built around this instrument, which occupies six rooms. Um, and so I'll have a stage, a scoring stage. <clears throat> an instrument that six rooms. I'm sorry, that yeah. just sunk in. Yeah. Like, that's so much yeah. studio. <laughs> yeah, so you'll walk into uh, a threshold in the studio, and you'll close the door, and you're standing in a two-story, you know, musical instrument so is this a warehouse that you have <laughs> it's no it was an office building and i just took out the second floor okay. and created a big scoring stage and then this whole section of this um room is for the for the organ and so it's uh i mean even if people don't everyone i think has an idea about what a pipe organ is but when you get into the actual mechanics and the technology of a pipe organ which is actually very old mm -hmm. it's the most fascinating instrument in the world it's the only it's the loudest instrument in the world it's yeah. the um, largest instrument in the world and it's the only instrument you can actually walk into uh, that i know of more That's or less neat. I want to come visit this thing. Yeah. So it's six rooms, but you like took down the walls. It's not in six separate rooms, right? It's six separate rooms. Oh, it is six. Yeah. Separate. So and, yeah. and that's on purpose. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to see it yeah. to understand it, but gotcha. it, it's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, and it's all from the twenties. So it's got you're literally stepping into this time machine of of um, mechanical things and pipes. Yeah. From Where the does 20s. the operator sit? Operator sits at the keyboards, which are out in the main room. Okay. So you're sitting kind of outside the instrument, and mm -hmm. then uh, and it's um, so. Anyway, I'm really excited to use that coming up in many film scores because it's got a sound way beyond what people think of as an organ, and yeah. it actually has like like if you're sitting at picture an organ and you you mm -hmm. have those little colored tabs all around, and if you right. hit the, if you hit the one that says piano, and you play. There's an actual piano being played by the organ. Wow. So it's it's like got such an incredible range of sounds it can create that are wholly unique. That's neat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so like, I can't wait to do it. Like that, yeah, you're going to have yeah, so much yeah. fun with that. And then they, yeah. how does it record the sound? Because now, now I'm thinking, like, technically, what, what's the logistics of this thing? Yeah. There's just, mean, like, microphones everywhere. You, It's funny. You actually don't. You just want, like, a nice big room for it to play into. So I'll have a room that can have, like, a 60-piece orchestra in it. Mm -hmm. And if you put two microphones in the right place, then mm -hmm. you capture the sound of the organ okay. in the right way. And the nice thing, the amazing thing is... This uh, Eli Roth film that I'm doing, actually, there's actual organ called for in the story in the book. So it's mm -hmm. like, what are the odds that I finish this 
studio yeah. and, and get to use it right away. Well, if it wasn't a write-off before, it is now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So what else is in your studio? Uh, I mean, I have just a huge collection of instruments, and I'm going to move them all down there. And my the thing I've been picturing for 20 years is this really large room with a beautiful sound that's just jam-packed of things that are just weird. It's like basically think of Willy Wonka, mm -hmm. but for music. Yeah. And it's got all these crazy um, mechanical musical instruments. So, um, I mean, I've got uh, uh, probably like 10 keyboard instruments, mm -hmm. most of which most people would look at and not know what it was. Yeah. Uh, built it from the 1800s to the to the you know present day. Yeah, um, you're gonna have this like really fascinating playroom. Exactly. That. I, yeah. Yeah. Are you protective of your instruments? Do you not let other people play? With them? I. I mean, I am a little bit just yeah. because I've spent so much time and money and effort researching them. But yeah. um, I definitely the, the once once I feel like I've figured out what I want to do with the organ, I look forward to sharing that with other composers for sure. It's 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 an instrument that was built to be in film and TV. So yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. great it's to specifically see it back for that. In. Yeah, exactly. And it's great that you're you're reviving it and giving Absolutely. it another life. Yeah, and it was it was sitting up in a garage in Reno or in a warehouse in Reno, and uh, it was just uh, it was it was safely packed away, but it was just no one knew about it. Yeah. And so I kind of talked. I wanted to do something unique with this studio, not just build another recording studio. And so I um, put out there my feelers in the pipe organ world, which is like that big. Yes. <laughs> and some guy called me one day and he's like, "Hey, I've got an instrument you're interested in." And he told me, "I'm like, oh my god, yes." Yeah, so give that to me. Yeah, so I went up and saw it, and it's taken four guys um, four years to restore. Um, you know, it's thousands of parts, mm -hmm. and, and the smallest pipe is, like, that big, and the yeah. biggest pipe you could stand inside, basically. Wow. So it's a huge range of uh, things, and then um, it's, uh, anyhow, it's going to be fascinating, and, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm really excited, yeah. Yeah, so... So this is like a perfect example of taking your obsession, mm -hmm. your creative obsession, and you've made it into a career. Mm -hmm. And in your career, like, that might not have been exactly what it was before, but you've taken all of that and built it into what you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is really great because yeah. you could just be like, all right, piano, violin. You sure. Know. You, and plenty of people, I'm sure, compose with yeah. just those things. Yep. You know, but yeah. you seem very passionate about weird yeah, like uncommon instruments. Yeah, I just get excited about it. Yeah, and I get uh, and I get excited about how anyone who makes these instruments, like if you look again, if you're you have to come visit when you walk through these rooms and see this, like it's just mind blowing the minds and the excitement and the creativity that went into figuring out how to actually make these things. Yeah, it's just so inspiring. You just want to you look at it. and You're like, I want to make music with this thing. Yeah, because so, yeah. it's like that's yeah. what its purpose was, and sounds yeah. like that's what your purpose yeah. was. Also, yeah, I think so. so speaking of like your purpose, your creative purpose, do you have any advice just for creatives in general? Like somebody who wants to work in a creative industry, they're not sure what to do. Just some words of encouragement. I mean, speaking to film and TV, my first piece of advice I give anyone is you have to live in Los Angeles for mm -hmm. a time. I think you have to. Yeah. Because there's so much. It's just every street corner you hear someone talking about a movie or script or something. Yeah. So I think that's super important. Uh, and then I think just being unique. You know, I always say that. Like it's. I think there are a lot of people who are just sort of redoing what's been done before. And you can have a big career doing that. It's it's fine. Yeah. But I I love at least trying to be different. And in, in so doing, like, it keeps it interesting for me and, and, and maybe brings something new to the whole game of, of whatever we're doing creatively. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, because the people, whether it's painters or cinematographers, oftentimes the ones who are doing things where people are kind of looking at them like, what are you thinking? You know, those those people oftentimes are the ones who change the course of that art, yeah. art whatever it is. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, do something a little bit different because your thing that's different 
may be the thing, exactly like you said, that changes the game. Right, absolutely. So why not try it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you yeah. know, like if that, like whoever brought, brought back to the theremin, like whoever was like, I got this weird, crazy instrument. Leo We're theremin. Yeah. What was his name, yeah. Neil. Leo. Leo. Leo theremin. Leo yeah. was like, yeah. I got this thing. You yeah, guys. exactly. Yeah, and I'm, I know everyone was like, wow, that's really weird. And, yeah. And today they're still going, wow, that's really weird. Yeah, but, but it, it's cool. become iconic. <laughs> it, it, like, has defined, like old school sci-fi sound. Absolutely. No no question. Yeah. yeah. It was just some guy thinking about music in a totally new way. And, yeah. And, it, and, and it's still around all these years later. Yeah. yeah. I saw it was after uh, Bowie had passed and this guy was playing a live version of uh, Major Tom mm-hmm. on the theremin. <laughs> and I was like, it's so appropriate. Right. It's so weird. It's exactly what needed to happen yeah. right there. It's yeah. very strange. <laughs> so good. So everyone, make sure you go out and and try new things. Yeah. And that, that thing that you're passionate about, you can work it into your work. Yeah. You know, you definitely can. Yeah, and I think the other thing I'd say to that end is, like, I think a lot of people um, try and imitate. I try and imitate. Mm-hmm. But in the process of trying to imitate, it comes out sounding like me. You yes. Know? And I remember, I think, Paul Simon or someone saying, like, he actually starts out with um, Derek Walcott is one of his favorite poets. He starts out with his lyrics and mm-hmm. then kind of just slowly replaces them with his own. Right on. So you'd never know by the end that it was started out as Derek Walcott. But, I mean, mm-hmm. it's such an interesting way to work, you know? Yeah. And I think that process is so interesting, and he certainly has a unique voice. So. Yeah. Because you're, like, everyone is a, you know, we're all special snowflakes. Like, there's a, <laughs> Exactly. Like, whatever you put on it, it's still going to be different. Even yeah. if you're, you're copying, you know, like, yeah. you, you're thinking about it in a different way. You're, you're working a muscle and then you work the muscle to make it your own, mm-hmm. and then that slowly becomes your style. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, because I do that all the time. Like the reason, the way that I learned how to do like photography and videography was just like, oh, it's like, oh, this is a thing that I think I can do. So let me go try that, mm-hmm. and then just trying a bunch of different things. And then now I've got my way of doing things. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that yeah. becomes your style. And yeah. Yeah. Totally. And you're inspired by all these different folks, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it's okay to to take ownership of that and also respect the artists that you have borrowed from yeah Yeah. oh for sure absolutely it's all it's all out there for our fun awesome well thank you so much for sharing all of your information this is fun yeah Yeah. you can definitely uh check out his work on flatliners you can get the album on itunes now also americans coming out in january yeah and that soundtrack will come out next year as well um uh, so yeah look for that too awesome then also hemlock grove you can go back and watch that and go back and watch the after show that we were on if you want yeah, there analysis you go. Yeah. of the show, <laughs> as well as True Blood, which you can see on, on HBO. Right. And the musical. you got to get prepped for the musical. Yes, you do. All really yeah. good things. Yeah. NathanBarr.com. Yes. And Composer Bar all over the internet. Yes. Yeah. Anything thank else you, you so want to tell people? No. I mean, thank you yeah. so much. It was really fun. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. you joined us. Awesome. I'm Mary Lou Mandel, your host. You can find me all over the internet at Mary Lou Mandel. And we will see you next time on On the Fly Filmmaking. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the host only, but not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners and principals.